Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Adventures in Angular. I'm your host this week, Charles Maxwood, and we're talking to Pavel. How do you say your last name, Pavel? It's Tuzov. Tuzov. Oh, I would have gotten close. I just wasn't that brave. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself? Let everybody know why you're world famous and all that stuff. Yeah. Hi, everybody. First of all, thanks for having me here. My name is Pavel. I uh, do think I'm a software engineer. I would call myself a software engineer, <laughs> although that's not <laughs> my official title today. But I am a full-stack developer with 10 years experience. And two years ago, I joined Microsoft and I do not develop anymore. I'm helping Microsoft customers with their dev and infrastructure challenges. Oh, wow. Yeah. That sounds fancy. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually, I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. So I'm sure there's a story behind how you got to Microsoft. And I'm also sure there's a story about how you got into Angular. I'm, I'm curious as we get into this, right? Because you wrote this, this article on reactive Angular and using observables and things like that. But I, I kind of want to back up because, yeah, Microsoft's kind of an interesting place to be, you know, and we have friends like John Papa and other folks that work there. So how did you wind up at Microsoft? Surprisingly, I was contacted by a recruiter <laughs> asking uh, if I want to join Microsoft. And to be honest, I am actually coming from a country in Eastern Europe. It's called Moldova, mm -hmm. Republic of Moldova. Okay. And I will now make a step backward and say that um, I am actually a .NET developer. So all my those 10 years, I was uh, mostly mm -hmm. working with .NET and Microsoft was my home. <laughs> But I never dreamed about working at Microsoft because it wasn't possible there where I was living and working. And then, then I moved to Germany and didn't even think um, back about, uh, well, now I have this possibility. <laughs> so I forgot that I can work at Microsoft now. And then one day I've just been contacted by them and I was pretty happy about that. Right. Very cool. And then you get through the interview process and then you get the offer and you start working at Microsoft. Very cool. I'm a little curious too as we get into this. How did you get into Angular? Right. Is that something you picked up at Microsoft? No, no. That was much earlier, um, about five years ago. <laughs> so I joined a company. I guess I, I just simply joined it at a very bright moment. Uh, so mm -hmm. most of the software there was were desktop applications there. So there were APIs. Surely it was all .NET there, but the, um, the front end was desktop applications. And was at uh, the time there were a lot of reasons why one would want to switch to web from, from desktop. And this is what I was mostly responsible for there. And instead of using again SP.NET uh, MVC <laughs> for the web, we, we just wanted to give a, um, a try to a single page application framework. And we picked Angular. You know, I mean, you probably know, uh, there was uh, mm -hmm. either React or Angular. <laughs> right. And I don't remember what were the reasons we simply picked Angular. 
I had absolutely no experience, um, neither with AngularJS. So I remember my uh, manager simply bought a book. By the way, Angular was in beta. There was no, I mean, it wasn't officially released yet. So it was a beta. There were no tutorials. There was, I think, just this one book. I don't remember how it's called. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, that's how that's how we started uh, experimenting with it, implementing it, and uh, we were very successful with Angular in that project. Nice. Now, when you say Angular was in beta, was that Angular two? Beta? Yeah, yeah. Oh. I'm talking about okay. Angular two, right? right. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say because React was coming out, yeah, around then, and I remember I went to a conference, and I can't remember which one it was. I think it was Utah JS conference, and yeah, I remember sitting down with Ryan Florence, and he had just made the switch. And he was gung ho about React, and so he was like, was like, and he had been gung ho about, I think it was Angular, and then he had switched to Ember, mm-hmm. and then he had switched to React, right? And so it was like we were just chatting, and it's like, it's like, well, what about Ember? Ember's crap, you know? Well, <laughs> what about Angular? A- Angular's crap, and, and then so that's that's how I get that timeline, right? Because A- Angular was kind of going through that transition phase too. So <laughs> anyway. But yeah, so it's it's interesting, you know, you, you kind of pick up all this stuff. Now, when you were hired, were you hired to write .NET or were you hired to write Angular or were you hired to, hired to write Bolt? No, we didn't. As I was hired, I think we didn't even, or the company didn't, didn't even start considering Angular at that time. As far as I know, I was hired, yes, as a .NET developer. I think I think for the ASP.NET, so, well, also the desktop, it was WPF, so surely also mm-hmm. for that. But uh, since I'm, since the very beginning, um, I started working on web frontends. Right. So I think that's why uh, I was also hired to bring this, this web, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the web frontend um, experience and the fresh air there. Gotcha. Yeah. So... As we kind of move into the reactivity piece, which is what you wrote your article on, and which is what we're kind of talking about today, what prompted you to write this article? Because reactivity is not a new thing in Angular, and the RxJS stuff in Angular is not new either. So what makes you think, oh, we need another article about this? Right. That's a very good question. And I think the the answer is surprising. It's my experience now at Microsoft, (laughs) although it has nothing directly to do with Angular. Sometimes um, we do have customers that need assistance, uh, that have challenges with Angular. And again, although this is not my main responsibility, so I'm there mostly for Azure, I am more than happy to assist if, if those questions arise. So, And I had two customers about the same time I was talking to regarding Angular, about Angular, about writing maintainable code in Angular, and then inevitably you will come to, to reactive extensions. And... I was actually in preparing a workshop, uh, an entire workshop on this topic, Reactive Angular, I called it. <laughs> I think that's uh, mm-hmm. also how my article is called. And well, I had to um, organize a little bit the information in my head. So I even prepared some slides just to have a, a plan, let's say, how we go through these topics. And when you have that all organized, I thought maybe I'll, uh, I'll take a part of that and put it in the article. I saw that it was helpful to the customer. And I also saw customers using Angular wrongly. I mean, not Angular, but the, the reactive extension. So using RxJS wrongly or thinking thinking they are doing reactive programming, although it's not. Mm-hmm. And that was also the reason why I decided to write this article and to emphasize exactly that. So this article is not about RxJS. It's about what it means for Angular, how to be reactive in Angular using RxJS. Right. Yeah. I gotcha. I remember, too, when we, or pretty early on in the 
course of Adventures in Angular, we had an episode with Ward Bell, and he talked about this was Angular JS talking about how promises were used internally with Angular JS, right? And people kind of picked up on it and got excited about it because it really empowered them to write better Angular applications and take advantage of the way that Angular worked. And your article kind of reminded me of that, right? Because, it, yeah, it's not focused on, hey, here's this really cool tool within Angular that you can use to write better Angular. Instead, it was focused on, hey, this is actually something that works, right? In Angular, this is how Angular works. And so because of that, here's how to do Angular in a way that makes your life easier, right? Yeah. And it just so happens that RxJS is what powers it. Or in the case of that other episode, it just so happens that promises power it, right? <laughs> and so that that's kind of the feel that I got from this particular article. Okay, that's great. So so what is it? I mean, what I guess my question is, is what what is it that people are running into? Or what what kinds of things are you finding that once people understand, they find empowering within the reactivity within Angular? Yeah, that's the perfect question. So this is the question. <laughs> I did the same mistakes, by the way, surely, um, as I was learning Angular and writing more and more code I think that's Angular. pretty common. I did too. Yeah, <laughs> we all did them. And that's why, mm -hmm. by the way, articles or books like this are very helpful. So maybe someone will skip uh, this time and not do those mistakes <laughs> by simply reading the article or uh, having this workshop. Right, so... When you start with uh, with RxJS, well, you, you will learn those observables, you will learn how to subscribe to them, and then you are back in your environment. And so you're back in your in the code you know how to write. Especially for those people like me coming from an object-oriented programming language like C Sharp, I was just happy that I get my state as fast as possible and then manipulate my state. So that's what I was doing in object-oriented programming. The state is stored in variables, and all you do, you, you change that state. Well, Angular is based on RxJS. So Angular is reactive, let's say, in its core. And now you go against Angular if you try to uh, subscribe and get the data as soon as possible and be back in that stateful, it's stateful world. So what we want is we want to, uh, to use the tools that you have in Angular in order to write, first of all, maintainable code, readable code, and testable code. Mm -hmm. And usually... I mean, usually when you talk about uh, when you talk about front ends, especially single page applications. So when you talk about those front ends, you don't really have business logic. You think all the business logic is there in the back end, and so it's like what you need to do is simply manipulate your presentation. But you do have a lot of business logic there too. And the very first mistake that people do, that I see people doing, that I was doing, is writing all this business logic in component code, and that is the first mistake in component code, you have only the presentation logic. So you're simply manipulating that, what you need to present, and you need to write the business logic somewhere else in services. So you will write extra or separate services where you will write your business logic. And now it's maintainable, now it's testable and reusable. And for this, you have this two reactive extensions for JavaScript. So with RxJS, you can do it easily in Angular. You will build your pipes, you will describe your business logic declaratively and also in a very readable way, which is also very, very beautiful, by the way, with RxJS. And you will describe it somewhere else, not in the component code. And when you come back to, to that, when you need to make some changes, when you need to, to improve something or to add some logic, you know exactly where you need to do that. 
because you extracted it in a separate in a separate place. So, yeah, I would say that's that's the biggest biggest piece there. So, thinking about or keeping in mind that there will be business logic in front end. There will be some. Well, maybe we shouldn't call it business, but there will be a logic how you manipulate the data before you present it. And don't, I mean, the place is not in the component. You shouldn't do it in the component. And when you do it correctly, you will have to use RxJS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm before we like go super deep on the, the kind of the how, I'm, what does this actually get you? Like, I, I guess it seems like it's going to open up some possibilities. It's going to make certain things easier. It's going to make certain things easier to reason about. But I, I guess, I mean, can we put numbers to this? It's going to be faster, so much faster, or it's going to remove so many lines of code. It's going to, you know, I, I guess those are the kinds of things that I'm looking for with some of this, right? Yeah. Is what kinds of simplifications, how much faster? Yeah. How much? Yeah. How much easier is it to test? How much easier is it to reason about? How much easier is it to, to to write more code? How much easier is it to maintain? How much more can I write against it when I have to add features to it? Yeah, good question. So I'll probably not come up with any numbers here. <laughs> mm. But again, we're talking about those. Uh, yes, sir. Yeah. I, I don't know that you can, especially when you're talking about this kind of code quality, but I can feel it when I when I write things that are kind of in line with the framework, like what you're talking about, right? Yeah, right. For me, in in those kind of projects where I worked on, maintainability was the the first thing there. So it was, I would say, I mean, I will I will say it was more important than the uh, than it being performant. Also, I mean, usually mm-hmm. you will you lose a little bit performance when you go to the maintainability side to the readability side. So that was more important and. When you start using pipes with from, I mean, when you start building your pipes, describing your business logic in those pipes, in a separate service responsible for, for a specific part of your of your logic, you will gain in that maintainability a lot. You will know, um, as I basically said, you will know exactly where you need to go in order to make your changes, in order to fix your bugs, or add additional features, because you know where the service is, and the pipe will be written in that way that it's very readable. So you know exactly which step of the pipe to make the changes or to add a new step. So you will feel it a lot in the in the way you, you read the code. It will be also easier for your teammates or for for the new members who who are onboarding to find the place as as soon as they start working on that project. And uh, testability, you said that too. Well, it's much easier just to take a, I know, a pipe and test it than, than start mocking an entire component in order to test something there. So, yeah, well, I will probably make the parallel with, uh, with C-sharp. It's like those classical unit tests. You're simply testing a, a specific uh, functionality, a specific piece of your business logic. You don't have to test the entire component for that. And then if it is the case, it's now reusable, right? Which is much more harder with the component. I cannot... Uh, Cannot give you any numbers, but <laughs> surely it is more testable. <laughs> you feel that it will be more, oh, sorry, reusable, not testable, if need be. I mean, it's not like we always need to write some reusable code. Most probably it will be used only by one component, but still, still you are separating the concerns. Again, I'm back at the maintainability part. You have those mm-hmm. separations of concerns, and that's clean code, readable code, understandable code. Right. So what... What kinds of things should we be doing? What kinds of things shouldn't we be doing then in order to get these outcomes? Right. As, as I wrote in the article, by the way, the very first one is do not subscribe immediately in the component code and then start manipulating stuff there. What we usually do in Angular, um, 
surely you'll have some API. Surely you'll write some service mm-hmm. that wraps some HTTP calls. You'll get the HTTP result and just throw it in the component and start working with it there. So that's the first don't. <laughs> that's kind of, kind of common best practice anywhere. I mean, it's not even just in Angular, right? I mean, if you're writing any kind of backend code, I mean, you said you do .NET, you usually wind up wrapping your API code in some kind of library that'll abstract away. Yeah. I need a new widget from backend system A, and so I'm going to write get widget from back yeah. backend system library get widget, right? And that way, I don't have to know how that all works. Exactly. And then from there... Yeah, then I can trickle it through and modify widget or get masked phone number from widget or whatever, right? Exactly. So, yeah, the first one was don't do HTTP calls in the component, but I, I even skipped that step. I think um, I think it's uh, so common that no one does it anymore <laughs> today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the next step would be don't just simply take the response from the API in your component and start manipulating it. Unless that's all you need, right? But uh, usually not. Usually you want to transform it. Usually you want to apply some some logic on the on the result that comes. At least, at least check for errors. At least see if you're not getting some transient error uh, from the HTTP. I mean, some transient HTTP error. And by the way, um, that's where RxJS comes in, into play. Uh, what do you do when you have a transient error? What do you do if the service is now unavailable, right? So you don't want to write this code in your component. That's not its responsibility. So there is a lot of technical stuff, like really HTTP technical stuff, retrying transient errors or do whatever if, if something is not found. So there will be some technical stuff you want to implement in that HTTP service. But then there will be also, again, business logic from the front end itself, which you might start, and this is what I always did, start doing in the component call, right? So right, mm-hmm. you dealt with your technical stuff in, in the in the in the service that is doing the HTTP calls, and now you start implementing your logic. And that is the the don't. <laughs> that is the next don't. So don't do it there. Do it into in uh, also. I mean, have separate services for that. Do those separation of concerns. Uh, do it in a different place. And what you want in the component, you only want the final state of your data. You want only the final state to be presented in the UI. Right. Right. And the the pipes the pipes help here. I mean, the pipes those RxJS pipes they help here a lot because. Again, if I compare it to object-oriented programming, uh, in object-oriented programming, we have variables and they contain state and then you you manipulate that state. In reactive programming, what you do, you have data flowing through those pipes, right? So you have the so-called data streams and then you apply transformations to those data. Mm -hmm. And so this is what you do in pipe. And the state is only in the end. So the, the last thing that comes out of that pipe, so the result that comes out of that pipe is your final state. And this should be the only state you have in this process. Makes sense. Yeah. Hey, folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that I'm doing. It's free. It's out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career. So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock Mountain Time, I'm going to be doing a call. 
and it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up and you can register for the call. It's using Zoom's webinar software, so it's pretty straightforward. And what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up. And then we'll just answer questions. And it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And then I say Rocky Road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have the situation how do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. And I'm really looking forward to helping some people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up. So... I'm wondering a little bit as you kind of trickle data through, because sometimes sometimes you just kind of have one or two places where you you have a data source and then you pipe it through to here or, and then you pipe some of it over to here too, right? And so you have one or two places where you're showing it. And sometimes as data changes, it reflects in several places. And so as, as you push that through, the different pipes that you have is there, is there, do you manage that differently or do you just do all of that subscription through services? That's a good question. I think we're talking now about cold and hot observables. So the main difference, I would say, just not to get into deeper details, the main difference is uh, when you have cold observables, every subscription, so every piece that subscribes to it will create a different pipe. And when you have hot observables, it's the same stream of data, the same pipe that is being observed, let's say, by, by different observers. And I think you're talking now about what observable. So if, mm-hmm. we, if we want to notify multiple components, let's say, uh, of some change or of uh, when the data comes in, if you want to, to this to be reflected in multiple components, uh, most probably we're talking about those hot observables and you will still be, be building your pipes, right? <laughs> so those hot observables will also and you know, will go through, through some pipes and maybe you need some different manipulation in one component, a different manipulation in another component. So by the end, I mean, the pipe will just split into different pipes and the data will be manipulated differently. Right. So it's still possible, right? You will do it in the same way. I mean, you'll still have your logic describing pipes, readable, maintainable, testable. Yep, that makes sense. So you kind of covered some of the big don'ts. And I think think most people, once they understand how observables work and they understand where you can, I guess, run into issues, those kind of become, I guess, easy wins. What what kinds of things, once you get people into the, the way of thinking about observables and thinking about reactive code, so once you get people thinking about that, what, what kinds of mistakes do you find them making at that point? All right. So you mean after you start writing, I mean, doing reactive Angular correctly? Yeah. <laughs> so. yep. Oh, let me think. Well, while I try to think now about just, just to let you know what I'm thinking about, it's not what, I, what people make as mistakes, but I try to think about what, what, which mistakes I did. <laughs> so I'm trying oh, to yeah. <laughs> try to remember. Let me, uh, well, since we talked about cold and hot observables, there is a thing, there, there is this powerful thing in the RxJS, the subjects, right? So subjects are hot observables, I call them hot observables. They are an observable and observer in one, so you can do both. And they give you a lot of power. And 
as usually with great power comes great responsibility and then you you just get carried uh, carried away uh, with this with this power you might uh, you might become lazy knowing that you have subjects right so instead of manipulating some stream and you know getting the data from an http service from after an http call you get the data and then start manipulating it in the stream what uh, what you will do you'll start packing it into into subjects <laughs> that will emit their events and as a subject is an observable and server, you might give too much power to those things that are using this subject. So let me be more precise here. I um, built an HTTP service, so a class, a service that was doing HTTP calls. And as soon as I got a response from HTTP, from the API, I would put it in the subject, right? So I would say here, mm -hmm. subject will emit a new event, and now everyone is subscribing to that subject. And... The very first thing you have to be aware of, I mean, this is another don't here when you start using those subjects. Do not expose the subject to the public. So do not expose it outside of the service. Even if you need this functionality that they just uh, told you, I didn't need it at that time. I just thought it's cool, but I could simply <laughs> work with the data I got from the API. But sometimes you want, so that would be exactly the, the example where you have hot observables. Um, that are being subscribed to by different components, right? So in a sense, it's a, it's like a, a data store, your own data store. And so what I was doing, I was exposing the entire subject. And now classes or components using this service could also pack events in that subject, right? And this is very mm -hmm. dangerous, right? So if you find necessary to, to use subjects for this and why you would use them, basically you, you would want to enclose sources of data right so you want to you have some data stream and you want to enclose them in the subject and then work with observables starting with the subject in my case for example this this was signal r for example we would got the events with signal r from the api and then would pack the and the data in the subject and now it's observable now it's reactive and now you can work with it in a reactive way um, but all all those components and classes need that are using this service containing the subject is really only the observable, right? So you never expose the entire subject. You don't do it public. You hide it there and simply expose uh, its observable part, not the observer part. And then you have this uh, normal reactive model outside of that of that service. So that would be, from my side, uh, the next don't um, as soon as you start, um, you know, being more, more advanced uh, in reactive programming in Angular. Makes sense. So are there any bad habits you're trying to break now? <laughs> you mean you mean write, when writing code in Angular? Or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would say, uh, that's a good question. You challenged me a lot today. Um, so the um, I would say my bad habit is not writing the tests. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. So yeah, you see, I'm, yeah. I'm talking here about testable code. Uh, <laughs> but then when it comes to really writing those tests, it's always... It's always later. It's always next time. Mm -hmm. And that would be a habit to break. Right. Yeah. Even for the for the code that I provided for this article, you will find no test there. <laughs> yeah. Is is there a reason for that? Or is it just mm -hmm. absolutely no reason? I mean I cannot I cannot provide absolutely no well, no good reason why not to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting though, because when I talk to people and, and when this in particular comes up, a lot of times it's it's just well. It takes time and I don't want to spend the time. But a lot of times what it really boils down to is that I haven't done it enough to be practiced at it. And so because of that, yeah, they tend to not, they, they don't do it 
people don't do it because it's not a comfortable thing, right? It's not a comfortable practice. And so, but but unfortunately, the only way to make it a comfortable practice is to spend some time being uncomfortable with it. So anyway, just, just an interesting thing, but I think, I think it's a worthwhile observation too, right? Because if you want to know that the code does what you expect it to, then you kind of have to be doing that. So. Exactly. And uh, not only that, but be, be also confident that when you add changes to your code, when you refactor your code or whatever, it still does what it has to do. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I guess the next question that I have is, do you have any articles coming out in the future related to this? Uh, unfortunately, nothing in progress. To be honest, uh, I'm now in parental leave. And well, congratulations. Thank you. Or and soon to be congratulations. I don't know uh, which no, it no, is. No, no, no. He's already, <laughs> he's already a year old. So uh, here, here in Germany, it's, it's a normal practice to take it. Uh, so when the father takes it a little bit later. Okay. Um, although, I don't know. I don't know. It's just some decided to take the first two months. I decided to take the last two months. So as soon as he was one year old, I took my two months leave. And I really decided to to switch off. <laughs> it mm-hmm. was a difficult year. And I decided to switch off. And I do I do have this urge to, to uh, you know, open up the laptop and uh, do something, create something. And... I work hard to fight it <laughs> and just simply to switch off to 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 sit near my son and and play with him a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good to me. My kids are all a little older than that, but yeah, very cool. Well, I don't know that I have anything else to jump jump on here with you, but uh yeah, if people want to connect with you and ask you questions about reactive programming in Angular, is there a good place for them to connect with you? Yeah, I would say Twitter and LinkedIn. So these are the two platforms and the only two social platforms I'm more or less active on. Yeah. All right. So um, I would be I would be very happy if people contact me, connect with me and ask their questions. All right. And what are your what are your handles on there? All right. So it's P A T U Z O V. So it's Paytuzov <laughs> on both on both platforms. So uh, you'll find me there. So yeah, it's the first two letters of my First name and my last name. <laughs> awesome. If you put that in the chat, then we'll make sure we get those into the show notes. And then, yeah, well, let's go ahead and do some picks and then we'll wrap up. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production. And you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Now, picks since this is your first time, is just stuff that you're enjoying in life. Now, if, if you pick your child, that's not something that the rest of us are going to enjoy <laughs> in your life. But people pick TV shows, books, movies. People pick technology. Um, you know, so just whatever. You know, so anything you think people will find useful or enjoyable. I'm going to throw out a few picks myself. The first one that I'm going to put out there is, and and I've been using this for the last week just because I. I don't really have a choice. <laughs> um, so I've been trying to get my books done so that I can file my taxes because here in the US, they put taxes off a month. So the tax filing deadline went from April 15th to May 15th. And so then if you filed a tax extension, it went from May 15th to August 15th instead of July 15th, which is usually when your extension would go. And of course, I put doing my books off till the last minute. So I've been 
frantically trying to get my bookkeeping done. And I have had the worst luck hiring bookkeepers and trying to get your books done in QuickBooks, which is what most business people that I talk to use, is also a giant pain and something that I have just had no luck trying to get figured out. Oh, reconcile this, blah, blah, blah. Part of the deal is that I do uh, Profit First, which is, well, I won't go into it. There's a book called Profit First. Go read it. It's by Mike Michalowicz. And essentially what he does, he tells you to take the profit from your business first. And so essentially what you wind up doing is you wind up saying, okay, this much money is allocated for operational expenses. This much is allocated for taxes. This much is allocated for profit. This much is allocated for owner's pay. This much is allocated, right? So you get the idea. It's kind of high-level budgeting. And then you, you can do other budgeting within your business for your operational expenses. But you wind up taking the profit out and your taxes out when you get paid. And so anyway, because of that, I found that keeping track of the transfers between accounts gets a little bit hairy is what I was aiming at. So anyway, QuickBooks, giant pain. So I've been using a system called Zero. That's X-E-R-O. And it's a lot simpler. It's a lot easier to manage. I don't know how any of this would work for you in Germany. <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to pick it because it's really, really nice on my end. I think the company is actually based in Australia or something. So don't quote me on that because I don't know that for sure. <laughs> but anyway, I just find it interesting that, hey, they figured out how to make it really simple. It also does invoicing like QuickBooks does and stuff like that. It doesn't have like the payroll stuff, but I don't really need that because I pay my contractors through PayPal. So anyway... And it integrates with my bank accounts just like QuickBooks did. So anyway, and it doesn't cost as much. So I, I'm super happy with that. So I've been doing that. The other benefit of doing your own books is you start going through it and you're like, what is that? Why am I paying for that? <laughs> right? So I've gone in and I've actually canceled some subscriptions to stuff that I'm not using or that I don't want to pay for anymore. And so that's also been a benefit as well. I've probably cut my monthly expenses by six or $700. So just putting that out there is a benefit wow. as well. But I can also go in now and just reconcile my accounts. I can probably reconcile all of my accounts in a half hour every month. So anyway, that's been nice. And I get to file my taxes. And due to the fact that I have a full-time job, Starting in September of last year, I probably will get a tax refund this year. So that will also be nice. Anyway, so yeah. Yeah. Bonus I, for all that. So I'm going to pick that. Yeah, cool. Um, I do believe it will be a hard time uh, using it in Germany. I think in Germany, Germany has the most complex rules and laws around all those stuff. So yeah, <laughs> it's so complicated here. I understand very little of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm going to throw in a fun pick too. I've also been listening to the book called Rhythm of War, which is a fantasy book by Brandon Sanderson. I finally got around to it. I, I just don't have a ton of time. And so I don't have as much time to listen to fantasy books as I'd like. So, and I had to go listen to the three books previous to it in the Stormlight archives. So of course, now I'm halfway through it and it's it's been fun. So yeah, those are my picks. Okay, cool. Thanks. Should I start with mine? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> All right. I will start with a book. And since uh, our topic is Reactive Angular, the RxJS in Action book from Manning. I, oh, nice. I very much recommend it. Um, it's not about Angular. Uh, it's purely about RxJS. And it covers a lot that Angular gives you out of the box. But still, you, can, you will fundamentally understand why there is RxJS. <laughs> 
and what does it solve, right? So, so the authors there, they start with, uh, like really with JavaScript, with plain JavaScript, uh, what are the challenges and how RxJS solves them. So that, nice. would be, that would surely be helpful for those who are working with Angular and correspondingly with RxJS. And, you know, I thought, what would be the other peak? And the first that came in my mind, which usually means that's the most important, <laughs> at least now, uh, would be a journaling app. So it's called Day One. Uh, I'm using it a lot mm-hmm. of years already, and it's helping me to be to to have this moment of reflection. Right? I think this um, journaling practice is, is very helpful in general. And Day One is just beautiful. I just uh, I just want to come back to it and just open it and and write something there. Unfortunately, um, I wasn't using it as much as I would want to lately. Because I was tired, <laughs> I was tired and just had little time uh, with the birth of the child. Um, but I I see that I'm slowly coming back, and so I definitely recommend uh, some journaling practice. Maybe some people will find a physical notebook um, a better better suitable for them. But um, if you mm-hmm. if you do want to have an app uh, that will be always there, it's on your phone, on your uh, laptop. I'm not sure if it's available for not Apple devices. I'm not sure about that, but it will be always there, unlike a physical notebook. And then you have a lot of um, features there, like you know, like tags and filters and reminders. And what did you write on this day a year ago or two years ago? That's all very beautiful. Awesome. Yeah, I'm just getting into journaling myself. In fact, I have my journal sitting here on my desk, and. Uh... Yeah, it's it's nice. I, I use it to journal all kinds of stuff, not just like personal thoughts, but if I'm learning something, I'll take notes in it. And it's it's nice to just go back through it and go, Oh yeah, I was gonna look at that. Oh yeah, I was gonna think about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I was I I was working on, on that. It's 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 really kind of interesting to kind of put yourself back in a different state of mind that you were in. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm gonna encourage people to go reach out to you on Twitter. And yeah, we'll wrap it up here. Until next time, folks, max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.